Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, hey, friends, it's so great to be with you. I'd like to begin today uh, by a little activity that's going to require some thinking on your part. And so uh, wherever you are, if you are sitting in your living room, if you're on a dining room table, uh, if you're listening to this while you drive, wherever you are, I need you to get ready to answer a a simple question that you have probably never thought of before, but uh, now you're going to think about. I want you to think about how you draw one letter in particular. Uh, And so if you were going to write this letter out, uh, how would you actually write it out? And the letter is X. Okay, so I want you to think about what order do you write when you write the letter X? Now, you may be thinking, uh, Jeremy, there's only two lines uh, in the letter X. How could this be a thing? There are actually eight different ways that you can go about writing those two lines. Now, check out this graphic here, and you will see the eight different options you have. So I want you to stare at this for a second. I want you to figure out which one of these describes your technique. So you should have a number, like uh, you might say, I'm a number one or I'm a number three. I want you to to figure this out. We'll give you a moment. Figure out which one describes the way that you would draw the, the letter X. Now, as you're thinking about it, hopefully you get your number down. And you know, okay, this is, this is how I would draw the letter X. And I want you just to, to share. If you have people around you, just to share your number real quick. Now, here's uh, what you want, want to know about me. I'm a number five. That is how I draw the letter X. And, and, and that might be different than your number. And so I don't know where you landed. And maybe if you're with people right now, you all have had different numbers or, or maybe you're, you're more aligned like that. Uh, I, I looked this up because I thought, surely there's got to be a proper way that, that we were trained, you know, maybe in like kindergarten, uh, to, to draw the letter X. And so uh, I, I want to show you, uh, this is the proper way to do this. Check this out. Now, if you, if you look at this and you're looking at uh, the order here, uh, what you figure out is that the right answer technically uh, is number seven. So if you answered number seven to the first graphic, uh, you're in line with how you are supposed to draw the letter X. But I want to say, obviously, that's wrong because I am a number five. Uh, I do not draw it that way. And you may go, well, Jeremy, how on earth could you defend you know, not drawing it the proper way. How, how could anyone defend who isn't a seven? And to that question, I, I think of what uh, the Apostle Paul once wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this, When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put childish things away. So all of you who are still a seven, that's great. But some of us have grown up and we've, we've you know, uh, matured in our drawing. And now we can, you know, add a little flair to it. And, uh, and, and you may be going, well, what is the point? How, how, is, this, you know, how is this possible? Now, really what I want you to think about is how can there be so many differences on something so simple? Something so simple as drawing an X, how can we have so many different versions of doing that? 
Well, I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church today as we digitally gather together. My name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here and, and I wanna encourage you to take notes like we do each weekend. And if you are, uh, you can write down today's title. The title of today is The Way of Love. And then in our Bibles, we're gonna be in Ecclesiastes chapter five. Now, Ecclesiastes is not a book I preach from all the time. It's in the Old Testament, so I'll give you a few moments uh, to find that book. Uh, But Ecclesiastes 5 is where we're going to be today. Now, similar to how there are eight different versions of drawing the letter X, and and, and even as we share these numbers, uh, we're going to find that we all have different numbers, you know, uh, when it comes to that. We're also noticing that, that this pandemic that we're experiencing is not affecting all of us the same way. And, and uh, kind of an isolation model is, however it's affecting me is everyone's reality. But in community, I, I hope that we can see, you know what, just because I'm affected this way, whether that is good or bad or indifferent, does not necessarily mean that everyone else is experiencing the same realities I'm experiencing. As a part of community is learning to, to, to bring our experiences together, to bring this together and go, how can we experience this? Not just what it means for us, but what it means for those around us. One author named Christy Wimber had a great quote, and maybe you've seen this uh, posted lately. She said this, let's stop saying we are all in the same boat. We're in the same storm, but not the same boat. Some live with the inconvenience of missing friends and staying home, while others are in great crisis and feel shipwrecked emotionally and financially. This storm is not the same for everyone. And so one of the things I want to encourage us is we figure out how do we be the church? How, How do we follow Jesus in a season like this is to have an awareness bigger than ourselves, to have an awareness of, of what other people are experiencing. Now, for example, you may know if you live in, in Oregon or you live in Washington or maybe you live in another state and you're, you're watching us from afar, uh, wherever your state is, you may know uh, what the, the coronavirus is doing in your state. But do you know what it's doing in other states? Do you know what it's doing nationwide? Uh, for example, I've been watching the, the national numbers. So how many Americans so far have, have died of this? And, and uh, the number, as of this moment that I'm, I'm saying this, is more than 51,000 people in America have lost their life. I've had to update that number three times in my notes this week because it keeps going up. Now, 51,000 is, is, is a significant, substantial number. And you may go, how do I have perspective on a number like that? Now, just to give you a comparison point, if you look at the Vietnam War, you go, how many Americans died in the Vietnam War? That number was 58,000. And so we're starting to experience loss on a humongous Scale. And even if that has not affected you personally, this is where you start to take a step back and go, how are we experiencing this? How are we collective? And so how aware are you of the people around you, how this uh, is affecting them? How aware are you how other states, how other countries are experiencing this? Are, are we realizing that we're in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat? 
Now, throughout the scriptures, uh, you have lots of different realities, lots of different storms and lots of different boats uh, that people experience. And even if you trace uh, the nation of Israel through the Old Testament and go, what did they experience? You find moments where uh, it was great and you find moments where it was tough. And, and I want to show you a few of these and then we're going to look at Ecclesiastes together. But, but if you go back to Israel, you go to the time of Moses. And, and again, I don't have time to, to give you all the details here. But if you're uh, familiar with the guy Moses, Moses leads God's people out of Egypt. Uh, they start to really form their own identity uh, under his leadership. But things were scarce. And, and, and because they were living in the wilderness, that, that really defined their reality. And so I want to read Exodus 16 to you, and this shows us what it was like to live in this season under the leadership of, of Moses. It says this, So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, them of food, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just enough what it needed. Okay, so no, no like lavishness, no excess here. They each had just what they needed. And, and this was, you know, more of a day-to-day -day, uh, way of God providing for his people. That's uh, the Israelites under leadership of, of Moses. But if you fast forward into the history of Israel, uh, you get to when they have kings and, and certain kings like Solomon uh, have a much different reality, uh, a lot more prosperity. And, and so if you get to 1 Kings chapter 4, you're now at a point of, of Israel's history where, where they are, are living large. Things are good. So much, in fact, uh, that, that the text tells us how much food uh, they had just in the palace because there was so much of it. Here's what 1 Kings 4, uh, verses 20 through 23 says. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. This is prosperity. They are growing. Nothing's holding them back. They were very contented with plenty to eat and drink. The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour and 300 bushels of meal, also 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well, well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry. Now you might go, well, I don't know what all those are. The point is, this is a lot. This is so much. This is abundance. They now have so much that they are listing the menu uh, in, in the, the, the scriptures here because there's so much food. They have so much abundance. Now, it's a very different reality than what you saw with Moses when everyone just had enough for that day. Now, in, in these two different contrasts, uh, let me ask a couple of questions that will get us thinking about our situation today. First question. Which one of these realities feels more like the season that we're in right now? Is it the reality of, of, of living you know, with, with the season of Moses or with Solomon? Which one really feels like, yeah, that is us? You would probably say, well, well Moses in the Exodus, you know, where they, they just had enough. That, that feels more like us. And, and maybe even that, you go, I don't even feel like I have that. I don't even feel like I just have just enough. I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm lacking the just enough. And, and so maybe you, you resonate more with the Exodus, but even that looks good 
compared to what you're feeling right now. But here's a, a second question. Which one of these realities would you prefer? So, so not what are we experiencing right now, but if you could pick, would you want the conditions with Moses or you want the conditions with Solomon, which would you prefer? I think most of us, if we are honest, would go, well, well Solomon, I, I'd rather have that season. Isn't, isn't that all of our goal? Isn't that what we all secretly long for? See, there is something in America and in the American dream and, and, and who we are culturally that longs for that, that, that expects that, that has gotten used to that. And so when we experience a season like this, it's not only the physical realities that are changing, there, there's something on an identity level, there's something deeper that is happening to us. And, and people have traced this through just the history of the United States of going, hey, how have we shaped uh, our identity as people? And I was reading one perspective this week, this comes from the author Stephanie Kuntz. She says this in describing American culture. Should the word consumption increasingly lost its earlier connotations of destroying, wasting, or using up, and came instead to refer in a positive way to the satisfying of human needs and desires. Now, this is an interesting uh, observation for her. She's talking about how we view ourselves as consumers, right? We, we think that's a very normal term. Like, oh, yeah, we're all consumers. But we shouldn't want to be a consumer. We shouldn't be proud of being consumers, of people who consume and destroy the things that we consume. Uh, but that has become part of our identity. We're, we're in a consumer culture, right? And, and that seems so normal for us, but as uh, authors like Stephanie have pointed out, that that's a shift from the way we used to think of consumption, and now we, we evaluated it to it's a good thing to consume a lot. And yet the reality is right now, perhaps we're consuming less than ever. I mean, for sure, gas. We're consuming less gas in our vehicles as we are driving less right now. Uh, you, you could say, you know, lots of things. Like, are we actually consuming less toilet paper even though we're buying more toilet paper, right? Because this season right now has got us thinking about this differently. But part of our culture, and I would just encourage you to make this connection, uh, part of the American culture can resonate a lot with, with Israel under Solomon, because that has been what has been normal for us. We have experienced that. And, and yet, uh, I want to go back and I want to show you now Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is written by Solomon. This is the king who lived in the, the, the time where, where there's so much prosperity and, and everything to be go, seemed to be going well, seemed to be going right. And to all of this, I want you to, to just consider uh, Solomon's take on this. What was Solomon's view about all the wealth, all the money, all of the stuff that they had? This is what we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. Solomon says this, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Now, that is an interesting statement, especially because the king is the one writing this and admitting this, Solomon is giving you an insight into how this works. Verse 10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings 
true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Again, Solomon is letting us in on his reality. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Anyone depressed yet? You're going, oh man, that is, that is heavy. That is, that is a lot to process. This is the perspective that Solomon's reality produced. This is the feeling that, that Solomon had, the, the one who most benefited from, from the abundance of Israel at that time. You and I might hope that there would be more excitement, more engagement, more energy and, and satisfaction in all that they had. And yet, as you see the king throughout the Old Testament that had more than anyone else, you also see more of a despair, more of a sense of, of all of it being meaningless. And those two go together. You see, a major uh, shift had taken place from Moses to Solomon, both in how uh, Israel was being led, but in the, the very identity of the Israelites as people, a major shift had taken place. And, and I think we can resonate more with Solomon's Israel, and yet what we're realizing now is a major shift has taken place for us. That what we had uh, would resonate a lot with, with Solomon's Israel. We lived in the land of plenty, where we had more than we needed. And yet now we're, we're trying to figure out how do we react to, to this changing, to, to losing much of what we had. Now, as I was thinking about how you and I can respond to hard times, I was thinking there's at least three dominant postures that we can take, three dominant reactions that we can have in, in, in a season like this, when things get really hard, when you have a lot and now you don't have what you used to have, uh, you begin to, to figure out, I've got to have a way to respond to this. And, and I was thinking there's, there's probably three main ones, and there could be numerous, but at least three dominant ones. The first, I would say, is the way of fear, right? That, that when things uh, go bad, uh, when things get hard, that you can react with a, a fear. And this is where you begin to hunker down against everyone. I, I gotta make sure we are taken care of. I gotta make sure we have what we need. Forget you, forget what you might need, forget how me doing this would affect you. I gotta take care of us because I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my family. I'm afraid for my future. So I gotta make sure that we have all that we need. This is uh, behind the the hoarding of toilet paper, right? Uh, literally, I've watched videos of people explaining it's mathematically impossible for these people who are stocking up on toilet paper to use 
the amounts of toilet paper that they are, are actually uh, buying. Uh, and yet that's a fear base. If you have shelves and shelves of toilet paper, it's a fear based reaction. You can do this with lots of things. I'm afraid, therefore I'm going to stock up. I'm going to, to make sure we're going to be okay. And this comes at a cost to those around us. Now, again, if we think, well, hey, everyone's in the, the same boat I am, uh, you might think that everyone should do that, but you have to understand we're in the same storm and, and we're reacting differently and a fear-based reaction hurts those around us. The second way you can react if it's not fear, the second way would be the way of greed. To say, okay, uh, I'm not fearful. I'm seeing just opportunity here. I'm just seeing a way to take advantage of the weakness of others, right? That, that when other people show weakness, you may think now's the chance to strike. Now's the chance to leverage. Now's the chance to bully people around to get what I want because I can posture myself from a place of strength and I can use that against the weakness of others. And, and so much of Solomon's life is this, of saying I am in, in, in strength and I can accumulate more. And so he does not accumulate more to give more, he accumulates more to accumulate more, to have more and more and more. And you look at Solomon's uh, Israel and it is just an overflowing of way more than they need and it does not bless others, and it does not even bless them. And when you read Ecclesiastes, you get this sense of, wow, what a bad exchange. But that's what the, the, the way of greed does. It tells you you need more, and, and it shows you ways to take advantage of others around you. And the end result is as you get more and more and more, you are less and less content with what you have. It does not ever uh, satiate you. It does not ever give you what you actually want. So you have the way of fear, you have the way of greed, and they, they have a lot of overlap. But there's a third way, and that's the way of love. This is the way that Jesus modeled for us. This is the way of the early church as they began to lay down their lives for one another. And this is how uh, the church thrived and how we came here today to inherit a legacy of faith that they have passed down to us. So in the way of love, you begin to push the limits of your generosity. How could I give more? How could I leverage what I have even greater? How could I do more for the people around me than I was doing before? When things get hard, the way of love looks outward, goes, what could I do? Now, maybe uh, that means you, you, you do find opportunities in a season like this, and you do find ways to, to take advantage of what's going on, but not so that you can accumulate more, it is so that you have more to give. You, you are looking at it going, hey, this is an opportunity to love better, and here's how I could do that. And so there's lots of different ways you can live the way of love, but it, it's not based in fear, and it's not based in greed and just accumulating more and more. Now, here's what I would, I would make a connection, that I think the way that you choose when things get hard is largely connected to the view of God that you have. You see, if you view God, uh, and, and when you think about God, a lot of fear comes up, you are more prone to choose the way of fear uh, in a season like this. If when you view God, you think God is just you know, selfish and God is just getting all that he wants and it's a greed conversation, then you're more likely to choose the way of greed if that's the way you process who God is. 
But if you have a view of God that looks like Jesus, and you begin to imagine the way of love uh, in Jesus, then you are more likely to choose that in a season like this. Now, one of the verses that we preach uh, here often, this really ties into our mission, is 2 Corinthians 8, 9, in which the Apostle Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I want you to notice how different that sounds than Solomon. Solomon just kept getting rich, just kept getting rich. And it was not, and there's never an emptying of that for the benefit of others. And yet that's what we find in Jesus. That he was rich. He had everything he needed. And yet it was always this emptying out for the benefit of others. Which is why our mission statement is that we are giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. It is a reminder for us to choose the way of love. To say we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to be uh, greedy. We're going to choose the way of love for the benefit of others. This is what happens when you follow the Holy Spirit. When we allow the Holy Spirit to direct us, to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to say, what do we have and what could we use this for? Not just to uh, accumulate more for us, because we've seen what that leads to in the life of Solomon, but how could we use this for the benefit of those around us. So let me ask you, which way are you living right now? If you had to be honest, and this is hard to do, to go, which of these three has really dominated your response? Has it been fear? Has it been greed? Or has it been love? Now, here's a twist I'll throw in. These are not just our responses during hard times. See, these are actually the posture that we have at all times. But one of the ironies right now, and this is something maybe you want to write down, is this. That hard times often make it easier to see what matters most. You see, right now, maybe you can see this with a clearer perspective than you could before. Because hard times produce that. We go, wow, I have to really be intentional. But the reality is we're always choosing one of these postures. We're always choosing whether we're going to let fear uh, lead us or greed lead us or love lead us. And yet right now, maybe we're more aware of that. And in that light, we could actually view this entire season as a blessing. Not because of all the things that we've lost, not because of uh, the way it has taken human life. Those are not blessings. But the blessing could be that in hard times, you and I have a clearer perspective to choose the way of love. Where before we may have, have gotten a little muddy, uh, may have gotten a little complacent, a little apathetic. When things are harder, it gives us a reminder, it gives us a little bit more clarity to see why the way of love matters so much. So what if rather than you and I rushing to return back to life as we knew it, how quickly can we just get back to the way things were? What if we were the ones embracing what we can learn right now? What if we were the ones embracing the change of this season so that we can learn how to love better? Say, I'm not gonna waste this moment to figure out how I can more profoundly choose the way of love in my life because I'm seeing things now in a way that I'm probably not going to see them once things go back. What if we were the ones right now learning how to love better, 
learning how to just sit in this space, how to grieve well, how to, how to find gratitude well, you know, all the things we've talked about the last few weeks. But what if we were the ones just patiently and confidently waiting and going, God, teach us how to love better. Teach us how to do this better as my eyes are open and as I realize all of the affluence, all of the stuff that we thought we needed may actually be hurting us, may actually be confusing us to the simple way that you're inviting us to live for the benefit of those around us. What would it look like for you to practice the way of love right now? What would it look like if you were to to just ask God's spirit to reveal that to you? What would it look like for us to practice the way of love today, tomorrow, this week? What would it look like to to see the people around you, not all in the same boat, but to realize that each of us are experiencing the storm in, in, in very unique ways and we react in different ways? What would it look like for us to choose love, to leverage what we have not to accumulate more and to have more and more, but to leverage it for the good of others. I want to close with something that the author uh, A.W. Tozer said, and this is such a simple yet profound uh, reminder for us who want to be the church, who want to follow the person of Jesus right now, of the opportunity before us. Tozer said this, a frightened world needs a fearless church. And church, what I would say is the world is very frightened right now. And it's causing some people to choose the way of fear. It's causing some people to choose the way of greed. And yet a fearless church chooses the way of love. Acknowledges that yes, things have shifted and we don't have all that we had. But rather than just complain about that, what if we let that cause us to love better? To leverage more, to push ourselves further for the good of those around us. Let's pray together. Jesus, may you meet us here in this space. As we push back on the way of fear, as we push back on the way of greed, and as we try to embrace the way of love. May this be a response to our view of you, because we know that that. God looks like Jesus on the cross. That's what you look like. That is the way of love. And because we have seen you revealed like that, we can take that posture in ourselves through the aid of your Holy Spirit who meets us in this place, meets us moment by moment to guide us and direct us as we live this out. And so I pray that, that as we process all of this, as we grieve and as we spend time in gratitude and, and we try to work all this through, may we be getting better and better at loving those around us, at seeing the needs of others, at seeing the opportunities that are all around us and using this season to make an impact for the benefit of those around us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.